0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning, we're in a great book of the Bible this morning, it's probably blasphemous to say that one book's better than another because it's all God's word, uh, but this is a very rich book uh, that's going to help us hopefully understand the gospel more, and that's important for the person checking out Christianity for the first time, all the way to someone who's been a Christian their entire life. Uh, my name's Dean, and I'm a pastor here at City Church, thanks for joining us this morning. I was really grateful for, I uh, really, one of my greatest friends, Shane's testimony, uh, wasn't that great, just clear, I mean, just to the point uh, where he said, look, I've been a Christian." I was 19 years old, but i never actually been baptized as a believer by immersion. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get baptized as a believer. And on October 30th, he's going to get a chance to do that, which I'm really excited about. So I hope other people will join him in that great day of celebration where we baptize and celebrate life in Christ. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the book of Galatians. We're doing an overview sermon, if you're new here today, of every book of the Bible in 2021. We're just going right through a different book of the Bible every week, sometimes two books of the Bible. We've even done three in one sermon. Uh, So today, we're just in the book of Galatians as we're starting Paul's letters to the church. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that Jesus brings us together. And we're thankful that with all the different things going on in the world right now, that we can be here today to hear your word, to sing songs of the faith, to be around other believers, uh, to take part in what you've prescribed for Christians, the weekly gathering. Uh, We see it all as grace and we thank you for it. Pray for those who are hurting right now. We pray for those who are sick. Lift up our healthcare workers to you. We are so thankful for them. We ask you continue to use them, that you give them strength and endurance, And Lord, we just are grateful for those who give so much of their lives for the better of others. We ask you to be with all the churches in our community as they gather today, as we know we're not the only ones doing this, and we ask you to keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city, and that the name of Christ will reign and rule. We ask all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a lot of times in letters, Paul begins by saying, dear church, I love you guys. You're my people. I miss you. I long to see you. You know, blessings to everybody, like sprinkle the blessings everywhere. Basically, he gets to the point in Galatians out of the gate where there's no, I hope this email finds you well. There's not that kind of greeting. Also, can we ban that greeting, by the way, just in general? I've always wanted to reply and be like, it doesn't find me well, and now I'm triggered by all the things that makes me think about thanks to you. Uh, one day I'm going to do that. Uh, but he doesn't begin by saying, I hope this email finds you well, uh, in terms of, and then goes into talking about the kids and how life is going before he gets to the point, there's no, oh, I saw your pictures, you went on vacation, and life is great. None of that. It's, I hope this email finds you well. Let's get to business. He is very unhappy with the church in Galatia. He doesn't hate them, he's not condemning them, he loves them. And as a result of that, what he's hearing about what's taking place in their city and through their churches is causing him great concern to the point where he is angry. He begins his letter saying, I'm amazed. I mean, this is greeting right to this. I'm amazed that you were so quickly, so they were Christians probably not too long before this, turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's what I'm hearing about you. Rather than being with Jesus and turning to the one who called you, you're going to a different gospel altogether. He goes, I'll be not mistaken. He says, not that there actually is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And you're giving into it. You're taking the bait. Now there's only one gospel he's saying, but if there's a true gospel, it must mean there are false gospels. And you're falling hook, line, and sinker for this stuff. He says, but even if... We or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. God takes his word seriously. He loves his people and wants to make sure they actually know the truth. As we said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. That's how God feels about this. Well, the question you might be asking is, well, what's the different gospel? Well, that's the whole point of the book of Galatians, that it flushes out this idea. And what's happening is a lot of Jewish people have become Christians, and they were still wanting to hold on to Jewish law. Gentile people were becoming Christians, but they had no background in Jewish law. And one of the things the Jewish Christians were trying to force into the new Gentile believers was after their conversion, they had to get circumcised. You think it's a big deal to get baptized as an adult and make that decision. How about choosing to get circumcised? I'd be like, you know what? Buddhism sounds great. Like, I I think I'm good. But they're believing in Jesus. They're believing the gospel. And these people are going to their churches and they're saying, you are not a complete Christian. You are not actually saved unless you go through the process of circumcision and other Jewish laws they were holding over their heads that they needed to follow. And Paul's not going, hey, let's just agree to disagree. He's not saying, oh, it's important to you, follow your convictions, you know, let's just all respect each other. He's saying, this is a false gospel. You're leading people astray because you're adding things unto what's required for salvation other than the blood of Jesus. We sang, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. That is what we need for our salvation. The work of Jesus on our behalf. It's been said by many preachers, I'm not sure who originated it, that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Jesus does all the work. The truth is, any revision of the gospel reverses the gospel. Any revision of the gospel reverses the gospel. What do I mean by that? It places man It places woman, it places works, it places religion, some kind of act that we do as the saving agent rather than all of it being for Jesus Christ. It makes man the contributor to salvation rather than God and God alone. He says this, and here's what it goes down to, am I trying to to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ, why? Because I'd be a servant to them. So the reason why these Gentiles are caving and they're saying, okay, I- I'm going to go ahead and get circumcised, I want to make sure I'm really a Christian, is they want the other people to think they're really Christians. I mean, how many random cultural things do you follow that you add to your faith that you think are essential because other people expect that out of you? So do I belong to people or do I belong to God? Because if I truly belong to God in Christ through the blood of Jesus applied, then I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. Now I know there's those in this room that feel like you have a lot to prove, maybe professionally. That could be true. You don't have to prove yourself with God. There's some of you feel like you have to prove yourself as a mom, as a dad. Maybe you have to prove yourself to your parents. That might be true by this world. But when it comes to your relationship with God, you have nothing to prove. Why? Let's just be honest. We've already failed. We've already messed up. We've already sinned. We've already failed the test, but thankfully Jesus never failed the test. He lived a perfect life, and God saw us as sinners and sent His one and only son to die for us and make us part of his family, and now he declares us not guilty of our sins because Jesus paid the penalty in our place. He goes, so how could you abandon this good news And this might seem irrelevant at first, because from the first century and circumcision, and now people do it, and there's babies in the hospital, and this might seem irrelevant, but think about anything. That we want to say Jesus plus what equals salvation? Jesus plus nothing. Because Jesus is the one who is enough. He says this, but not even Titus, who was one of the pastors, who was with me was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Why? Because he knew he was already saved. This matter arose because some false brothers, that's what he's calling them that are teaching this, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. They wanted them to still be bound by Jewish culture and Jewish customs and Jewish law. And he says these people, they were false brothers. He calls them that. And they infiltrated our churches trying to spread their false message. And he says, and you're buying into it. Titus didn't buy into it. You're buying into it, but we did not give up. Like, we're not gonna ignore this and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Because we care about you and we love you that much and we actually believe this stuff. He says this in chapter two. And the theme is that beginning and then he shows how it flows out into the rest of life. He says, we're Jews by birth, he's talking to a Jewish audience, and not Gentile sinners. That's what they would consider them. Oh, those Gentile sinners, those kind of dirty, you know, those impure people. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, hey, we're Jewish. We weren't those Gentile. They called them pigs back in the day. Like We weren't those Gentile sinners, but even though we are ones who came up with the law, uh, in terms of we brought up in the law, I should say, and, and who lived under it all, we still put our faith in Jesus Christ because we know the law doesn't save, only Jesus saves. This is so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. You know what the law does? It shows us our need to be saved because we don't and we can't keep it perfectly like Jesus could. And for those of you that maybe live your lives as overachievers and take pride in that, this might be a little hard kind of message to hear because something in us is wired to still say, but I have to do this. I have to show this. I have to perform this. Rather than sitting back and saying, Jesus, you have done all the things that I was unable to do. And now because of that, I want to go live and work and get after it and achieve things for your glory, not because I'm trying to earn your favor or prove something, but because I already have your favor in Christ. No human being will be justified by the law. The law shows us our need to be justified, and that comes through Christ. See, Paul's showing the young Christians in Galatia their spiritual problem here is not just by failing to live for Jesus, which we all deal with, but also they're relying on their obedience to God to make them right with God. So you actually can sin through disobedience, which is pretty clear. and just sinning, committing acts of sin. But did you know you can also sin by obedience? If you think that obedience is what is causing you to be right with God and your salvation. So we're going to see him telling them that all they need, all they could ever, Ever need is the gospel of God's favor to them through Christ's death and his whole life too and his resurrection. He says this, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, the law does that, it shows us that, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. He's saying because we've been saved by grace, does that mean that we should sin because God just loves us and is Jesus almost promoting that? If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. The things the law imprisoned me under. And the law is not bad. God gave us the law. He came up with the law. But the law shows us our sin and how we're enslaved to it. He says, now in Christ, I'm dead to those things. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That now this is what life is about. It's not about customs or culture, even though those things can have their place and be helpful, but no, it's about Jesus. I've I've died to all those other things. My life is now in Christ. I think one of the biggest obstacles we see today, especially in the geographical South, where a lot of people you encounter are not atheists. I know campus might be different. They wouldn't claim to be atheists. And still at Florida State, the the largest amount on a survey of people when they indicate their religion would not say atheism. It's not the largest one there if you look at data. But one of the things that makes it difficult to get someone on board with the Jesus they claim to believe in, even though they have a manger at Christmas time on their mantle and they might even post Jesus is the reason and they know the words to all the Christmas songs that are about Christ and get all the warm fuzzies is they don't want to be crucified with Christ. They don't want the life that they now live to be by faith in the Son of God. Why? They don't want their lives interfered with. We're all guilty of that. We want enough of Jesus to be personally associated with, but not enough to be personally inconvenienced. And Paul's telling them, when you understand the grace of God, it knocks all those things down. He said, and now we live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a response, not an effort to earn, a response to grace. I think this verse is really important. Verse 21, just to understand, I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What he is telling them is that if you claim you still have to be circumcised, you're holding up a big, huge sign. You know on Instagram, dude with a sign that holds the cardboard? Okay, you're holding up a sign that says Jesus died for nothing. Well, how can you say that? We're Christians. Like, like, you called, like that's what we are. We know Jesus. We, yeah, we were raised Jewish. We've given our lives to Christ. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You've given your life to a Christ that you have still manipulated and twisted to still meet your customs and culture. And if you suggest for even a minute there's a work that has to be accomplished for us in order to be saved from our sins, you're saying that the death of Christ was not sufficient, that it was unnecessary, that the ball's in your court, that you can perform certain acts to allow you to be saved. And I hope you see how huge of a deal this is. Imagine yelling, Jesus died for no reason. You'd feel like lightning was gonna strike you, wouldn't you? We're functionally saying that we add our works onto our salvation. It was Luther who said the default mode of the human heart is to always go back to a works-based righteousness. Something in us continues to want to go there. A lot of times you were raised in it. Some of you have the old Catholic guilt, whatever it might be, the old Baptist legalism. Our default mode is always to return back to a works-based idea. See, Paul's helping them solve their issues Not through telling them to be better Christians or get their act together or shape up, but by calling them to live out the implications of the gospel. Tim Keller, who wrote a great commentary on Galatians, it's called Galatians for You, I'd recommend it if you want to read more about Galatians, said this, this is the humbling truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for themselves. So we find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive. Whether they are religious, keep these rules, do these things, and then you'll have eternal blessings. Or secular, grab a hold of these things, and you'll experience the blessings you want in your life right now. Basically happiness. These are temptations we all face that we must regularly combat under the understanding of the gospel, that we live in response to God's love, not we don't live our lives trying to earn God's love. When we begin to get that and it clicks in our head, the weight off of our backs, I think finally allows us to have our affections grow for Christ. Because we know that he's the one that loved us first and he's going to keep loving us no matter what, when our idols never love us back. Our works don't love us back. Only God, because they would demand more of them, right? Only God always loves us back. Chapter three, you know that those who have faith, again, talking to a Jewish audience about why the Gentiles don't have to deal with all this stuff, these are Abraham's sons. As in, you think that you're extra special and you're the only ones under Abraham's promise. I'm here to tell you that is not true. Because yes, God has set you apart Yes, God brought a message of salvation through your family back to Abraham, but that message would extend to the rest of the world. So the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and, the, and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Well, what is the greatest blessing of God? The greatest blessing of God is our salvation that comes from God himself, so he's telling Abraham he's gonna save a people through him, but also tells him that that saving will extend to everyone who will come to believe, including and especially the Gentiles. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So you're one of Abraham's descendants spiritually, even though you might not be ethnically if you're a Gentile Christian, which is somebody like me. The old preschool song, Father Abraham Had Many Sons, Many sons had father Abraham. I almost started singing. I'm going to stop. I repent. Sorry, that'd be real bad. Like, I'm going to come back. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Then you can do right arm, left arm, and do up your feet. But the message from that far back, when you're a little kid, is interesting how much theology we learn that's so important as young kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Father Abraham, this is theology now, had many sons. And then he tells us that I'm one of them. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And so are you. Why? Because you're in Christ. So what's the response? Now let's all praise the Lord. I think that book, Everything I Ever Need to Learn, I already learned in kindergarten. This is basically that for Christians. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of law is cursed. If you're relying on the law, it means that you must be perfect in obeying it in order to be saved. Jesus took it a step further. He said, oh yeah? He said, you didn't commit adultery? Well, guess what? When you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart, So here's somebody going, wow, I'm really great because I've never committed adultery. I'm keeping the law. Jesus is like, yeah, but you still break it, and here's how. If we rely on the law, it exposes us as people who have failed miserably. Because it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. That's how we are saved, faith in Christ. The law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. See, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus in his death on the cross became a curse for us so we no longer would be cursed under the law. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, that promise in Genesis 12 and in 15, would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ. So we would receive the promised spirit through faith that now God would be with us. Incredible. Before this, faith came. We were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. It actually did good things. It showed God's people how they were to live as his people, how to live distinct lives, that point to a distinct God, but it also carried a weight over them regularly, showing their inability and their need. It says, but... Since the faith has come, as in Jesus has come, he has died, he has accomplished God's mission, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Through faith is how it happens. That's how you enter into the family of God. Now verse 27 through 29, I think that if we are able to grasp this and live this it can actually be one of the most countercultural acts a church can possibly do in our times. Verse 27. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Like we receive Jesus, we like put him on. The Bible says we're one with him. Look at the results. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female since you're all one in Christ Jesus. Why are we one? Because we belong to a family, and that's to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed. We come from a spiritual family back to Abraham, understood in Christ, according to the promise. Here's what's going on here. He is not saying, though when he says no Jew, no Greek, no male, nor female, he is not saying that gender goes away. He's not saying that. As much as the media is dying for that, and Washington, D.C. is dying for that, sorrycharlie.com ain't happening. He made them male and female. Cannot negotiate on that because you take out a significant understanding of the Bible and God's design. He's also not saying there's no ethnicities anymore. God is a beautiful designer and creator. And we're not told that just one group of people will be before the throne of God in heaven, but people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So he's not saying there isn't gender anymore. There aren't gender distinctions. He's not saying that. He's also not saying that there's no ethnicities anymore. and We should pretend there's all one human race. That's not true either. What he's saying is, when you are a Christian now, your ultimate identity is in Jesus. And the family you ultimately belong to is one that is in Christ. And that how you first view yourself in community is as a Christian. Our world wants to segregate everything. It's like, so, uh, so, so uh, hey, uh, today on the news we're going to talk about how, uh, what the forecast is for left-handed Italian bowlers from Ocala uh, for the upcoming race, right? That, that, that kind of stuff. They want to make identities in everything else you possibly can imagine. So then when something goes maybe that, that could be hurtful to the group you identify with, rather than dealing with an injustice like the scriptures call us to, it becomes your everything. It becomes your everything. If anyone says anything about it and they just don't get it or whatever it might be, when the reality is we belong first to Christ and we are Abraham's seed according to the promise. If the church could figure out how to live that out, the world would notice. But go on social media and the church hadn't figured out how to live that out. That we are one people and part of being one people is also listening and identifying with the struggles of other people who you claim to be in community with. Why? Because you have nothing to lose because your identity is not in anything else but Christ. And that's the difference. So the time came to completion. God sent his son, Christmas, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So that's what God was doing. He was coming to bring a failed people into his family once and for all. And because you're sons, this is who you are now, you're in his family, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So he goes, guess what the result is of your life? Guess what you can claim and understand? You're no longer a slave, but a son. How incredible. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. An heir. You're not enslaved by the demands of the law and your failures and the expectations of this world, whether they get circumcised or not get circumcised. You're a son now. A few more. <clears throat> but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. Pretty rational. You didn't know God, so you worship things that weren't God. Then it enslaved you. They had power over you. We don't realize that, but everybody worships something, and the things that aren't God have power over you. You want to know how much? Just take those things away and see what happens apart from Christ. But now, as in something's changed, since you know God, as in you become a believer, you're a part of his family, he goes, or even better, he goes, or rather had become known by God, how can he turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You've been set free from all this. Why are you going back to it? He goes, you're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. He goes, okay. That's fine to do that. These are Jewish festivals. He's like, but you're doing those things because you think it justifies you before God. He says, I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. The teaching, the discipleship, the Bible reading, the gospel understanding, I'm worried that all the work we've done has been wasted because you're just running right back to your old life. He says in chapter five, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Why? Because you think that you are the agent or that actual work is the saving institution. He goes, again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. He said, okay, if you still have to get circumcised, to be right with God, in that case, you got to keep the whole law. All of it. Every single rule. And good luck with that. Good luck with that. And I love this in verse 12. (laughs) I wish, this is full PG, I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. As in, those people think that you have to go through that surgical act In order to be saved, I hope they do that to themselves, it goes very poorly, let's just say. So what do we do now? We've been saved, not by works, but by grace. What do we do now? Now we live that out as sons and daughters. He goes, walk by his spirit, chapter five, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now we walk kind of with a a spiritual antenna that's in tune to the things that God is doing. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. There's two kind of combating worlds. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other, so you don't do what you want. There's a war going on, old self and new. He says, walk in the spirit, in tune with God's word, in tune with God's people, making church a priority in your life, spiritual disciplines, so you can be in step with the one who has saved you by grace. So you won't carry out a life that knows nothing of God. This is in chapter 6, last chapter of the book. Therefore, as we have opportunity, this is a working out of being in the Spirit. Let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, this is interesting here. Are we to care for all people? Yes. But scripturally, the church is called first and foremost to care for the church's own members. It doesn't mean we ignore other people. In this family of God, there's family responsibilities to each other. So if it came down to it, if a member had a need who's a part of our church family and someone who was not part of our church had a need, the goal is to reach to meet both of those needs if possible. But the priority is someone who is part of our church family. Why? Because we have an obligation to each other. I don't want to neglect anyone else, but there's an obligation to that person. That's actually pretty clear throughout the scriptures, that understanding. He says this, but as for me, he's closing out the letter. Yeah, this is what it comes down to. I'll never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, like That's my message. Like that, that's where I point. That's my hope. That's my understanding. He says, the world has been crucified to me through the cross and out of the world. I don't live for the world anymore. I live for Christ. Not their applause, not their approval. Then he goes back to circumcision again because that was the driving issue in that church. He says, but so, so circumcision, both of these things, and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Have you been made new by Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5, anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, old gone, new come. That's what I want to know. That's what I, I care about your heart. I don't care whether or not you've been circumcised. I care about your heart. I don't care whether or not you've been through confirmation. I care about your heart. I don't care whether or not you've been christened and first communion. I care about your heart. Like Shane in his video, yeah, I went through confirmation at age 13. Can that be meaningful and helpful and a gateway to faith for some people? Yes. I don't want to take away from that. I want to be very fair. But he said in the video he wasn't even a believer when he went through it and got sprinkled on the head and got a certificate saying he was confirmed. Y'all, that's not unique. That's called cultural Christianity. And what cultural Bible Belt Christianity looked like in Galatians at that time in the first century was circumcised or not circumcised. You still got to keep the law. You don't have to keep the law. So as long as I'm doing the stuff, it doesn't matter what's going on with my heart. It doesn't really matter what I believe as long as I'm following the rituals and following the rules. And here's Paul going, no, 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 no. You're bad at those anyways. And because of your sin, it's not that you just randomly messed up. You sinned against God. And God won't let sin go unpunished. And the law is showing you that it's true and you know that. You're cursed under it. But guess what? Someone became a curse for you to now free you not to live for the rituals, even though the rituals might even be helpful for you in some cases, not to live for the opinions and the applause of other people, but not to walk in the spirit so you won't carry out the desires of the flesh because the flesh has been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but you live in him, the one who died for you and gave himself for you. Imagine this message. You're in Galatia. You become a Christian. And the church you're a part of, because they've gave in to the views of people trying to infiltrate it with false teaching, go, oh yeah, um, you're not fully saved yet. What? What do I need to do? I want to be, I believe in Jesus. I want to be saved from my sins. Well, you have to get Circumcised. Say what? Uh, oh, okay, well, if I'm not circumcised and they're not gonna think I'm really a Christian, and may, maybe, well, I don't want them to not think that about me, so, and also, maybe they're even right. But like maybe they know more about this than I do. Like maybe, I'm brand new here. They know the Bible, and they know the law, and like, so, so maybe they're right. So one, I don't want them to think less of me that I'm not a very good Christian, and second, what if they're right and I'm really not a Christian? And here Paul writes a letter and says, you are abandoning the gospel. Circumcision and uncircumcision, no. We preach a new creation in Christ. That our faith is about what Jesus has accomplished, not what you have to add to, your, your, to that accomplishment in order to be saved. In fact, he said, if you think righteousness comes to being circumcised, then what you're saying is that Jesus died for nothing. And he goes, you know what that is? That is the false gospel of the false gospels. So one of my favorite things is religious memes. Spend too much time looking at them and sending them to friends. And there's a picture that I think uh, perfectly pictures Galatia about a week after Paul came. Let's put it up there real quick in closing. Thank God for Jesus who has set us free. Poor dude, poor Galatia, pre-Paul. That's why we need the church, need the Bible, and Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for a grace that has set us free. Lord, we are thankful for the letter to the church of Galatia. Quickly rebuking the tendency we all have to think it's Jesus plus something else. Lord, together as a church community this morning, I hope we agree before you that it is Jesus and Jesus alone. His blood, his perfect life before his death, his resurrection, his coming again, that is our hope. For those here who regularly feel the the weight, some self-inflicted, others from how they were raised, of the pressure to measure up by some sort of religious standard, Lord, I ask instead you allow their minds to see that they are sons and daughters. And now they just need to walk with you and live with you. To walk in the spirit so they won't carry out the desires of the flesh. We know that you do that with us. It's the spirit, what you promised. So as we repent of any kind of workspace righteousness in this room, and because of us understanding grace and faith, That'll increase our affections for you to want to be good sons and daughters because we already have your approval. I want my own kids, Lord, to to know that they don't have to earn my approval, that they have it because I'm their dad. That's, That's enough. There's nothing they can do to not be my kids anymore. Lord, help me and all of us to see our relationship with you that way. And once we become adopted into your family, we never become unadopted. That we're with you and you love us despite of our sin. Help us respond to that, but wanting to love you back. Thank you for Jesus, his work on the cross, and we thank you that righteousness comes through Christ, and Christ alone, not our works. So we can't boast, and Jesus gets all the glory. That's in his great name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news and celebrate the great truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ.